Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Sock Takes podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nipun Chopra. Joining me as always is the founder of Sock Takes and the purveyor and the king of lanyards, one and only Kevin Johnson. KJ, what's going on? Not a whole lot. I'm excited. I'm ready for this episode. KJ, I was at... Uh, um, I was in uh, Dayton well, yesterday, actually. I was in Dayton, and they had uh, media passes with lanyards. And the amazing thing is, when I got there, I was pretty upset because I hadn't carried one of the six lanyards I've stolen from you. Uh, so luckily, they already had those. So apparently, someone listened to our pod last week and decided that lanyards did come attached with the media pass. But was it the bead lanyard or the actual cloth lanyard? Wow! Only the lanyard uh, yeah. king would ask a question like that. If they, the if it's just that that skimpy bead stuff, you know, it's, it's not a real lanyard. I'm sorry. Uh, noted. <laughs> you heard it here <laughs> from the lanyard king. Uh, this is the kind of insight you would get if you uh, became a Patreon subscriber. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Uh, also joining us is our other contributor, the wonderful sweet baby, sweet baby siren, Aaron Gunyan. Aaron, what is going on? Not a whole heck of a lot. I'm trying to figure out what a beaded lanyard is. Um, <laughs> it's what Google's for. So give me a few minutes. I'm going to get back to you guys. It's it's going to break in. It's going to be it's going to be hot news when it comes out. I do I do recommend that at some point while we're having a serious conversation, you just interject with a definition. Don't even like don't even like describe it. Don't even say this is what a beaded lanyard is. Just start reading it out. You'll so know do... when it's breaking in. You'll hear Sarah McLaughlin in the background. Now and... we're talking. So, super inside jokes. Let's get to the meat of what we're here to talk about today, I think, though. Let's do that. We have a guest with us today. Uh, our guest is someone uh, who I came across on Twitter a little while ago. Um, I've kind of talked to him a few times about, uh, you know, how, what it means to be as successful as he is, uh, carrying a team, really supporting a team and running a team for that matter. So, joining us, Jordan Gardner. President of Burlingame Dragons. Jordan, welcome to the Sock Takes Pod. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I am very excited to be here today. So Jordan, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into uh, talking about the Dragons. Oh, actually, I should say what we're going to talk about today, Dragons. We'll introduce Jordan, then we'll talk about the Dragons. We'll talk about uh, San Francisco City FC. Uh, we'll talk about the news today that San Diego NASL is now an official thing. And we'll talk on San Francisco Deltas as well. Given that Jordan lives there, he's kind of worked there, he gets the landscape out there, uh, he's the perfect person to cover all these topics in these various leagues uh, in American soccer out there. So before we get started on all that, Jordan, tell us how you came to uh, support and working within the beautiful game stateside. Yeah, um, I had played the game at a semi-professional level, at kind of the PDL level. Um, when I moved back to San Francisco about six years ago, um, I kind of got really deep embedded into the kind of adult semi-pro leagues here in San Francisco. And there's just an absolutely insane amount of talent here, whether it's former D1 guys or former pros. And uh, we put together a couple kind of semi-pro teams and made a run at the Open Cup. And um, at that time, I want to say, this was about three years ago, yeah. Um, there was a group, and this kind of transitions into SF City quickly, but um, there was a group called SF City that had wanted to bring pro soccer to San Francisco or semi-pro soccer, and uh, they had the backing of a lot of grassroots organizations, the American Outlaws and Everton supporters, and um, but they didn't have an on-field product. So we uh, 
we merged, combined our forces with our kind of top-notch on-field product with their off-field infrastructure, and we made a, a run at the Open Cup, and we became SF City. And so that's how I really kind of got my feet wet in uh, professional, you know, executive side soccer. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I was with SF City for about six months, had a difference of opinion, and then kind of moved on to the next opportunity, which is my current role as president of the Burlingame Dragons, and we are the PDL affiliate for the San Jose Earthquake. So that that's where I'm currently at. Um, I have a background in technology. Um, I ran a startup that sold tickets to sporting events and concerts for about 13 years. Oh, so, what was it called? I, I didn't know that. Uh, it was called Ticket Arsenal, which is my Skype handle. Uh, I know the, ar- the Arsenal piece will uh, upset some people, but uh, <laughs> kind of like the soccer, the soccer tie-in. And uh, so I ran that for quite some time. And uh, at the ripe old age of 33, I'm on to a second career in professional soccer. And, uh, you know, I think it's a really interesting space, as we talk about here, we talk about on Twitter, we talk about anywhere, is, you know, it's a very inefficient area. There's a lot of clubs that aren't operated in a sound fiscal manner. Um, I love the game. I really do like soccer, but I also really enjoy kind of the business side of the game and, and finding ways for teams to be financially viable. Um, and that's kind of why the NASL more than anything is really interesting to me because, um, you know, there's a lot of clubs that aren't exactly run in that manner. And so I kind of see a lot of opportunity. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the long story short on where where my but, background is. So so tell me why it is so interesting to you, because as you hinted there without saying it directly, there's a lot of uh, poor management and not only in NASL, but in American soccer in general. So why is it so interesting to you? What are the things that made you decide, hey, I'm going to give up a lucrative career working in tech or anything like that? And basically, you've decided that you are going to make a living in, in what is a very um, uneven and inconsistent environment where, to be honest, the best you can do is not fuck up. I mean, that's the best case yeah. scenario in American soccer, right? So what is what is it that drives you? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think for me, luckily, I'm in a financial situation where I'm able to kind of take a step back and run a professional soccer team at the fourth division. I mean, it, yeah. as aspiring, you know, aspiring executives, I, you know, I tell them all the time, I'm like, there's not a lot of money in this. So fortunately, it's definitely a passion project for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I know a lot of young savvy executives that kind of want to go into the sexy sports you know here in the bay area they'll go work for the warriors like, like cricket or something like that yeah yeah like <laughs> cricket yeah. or badminton mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> but it, i think in my experience soccer you know in the stage of development it's at you still don't have a lot of young executives going into the game and i felt that they're definitely soccer is obviously very different from other these you know from other sports whether it's the supporter culture or just the unique nature of the sport um I just, I just always found that that was kind of an interesting niche for myself and knowing the game and knowing the business side and having played the game and having done um, yeah. a startup, I, I felt I kind of the recipe was there. And, um, you know, I enjoy the operations, whether it's gen- generating revenue with tickets or sponsorships or game day operations and all the kind of stuff we do on a day-to-day basis. It's just, it doesn't seem like work to me, which is always a key to when you want to find a job, right? I mean, you don't want right. it to feel like work. So there's not really a definite answer to that. It's more, it's just it's enjoyable. I enjoy the game and being around the game. And, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity on the business side in particular. So I'm just scrolling through LinkedIn right now and, uh, it's a cool website. I don't know if you've heard of it. (laughs) I'm on Jordan's profile right now and I, I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of information. I want to get some more background on this. 
first of all, um, private vineyard owner. So we're going to have to come back to that in a little bit. <laughs> but the Dragons, first in PDL sponsorship revenue and second in PDL attendance. And these are, these are things that you're going to obviously want to talk to. What are some of your challenges in those aspects? These are things that we talk about constantly, which is raising money for the teams and attendance. So what are your greatest challenges here? Yeah, I mean, um, so those numbers were from last year, and obviously we're heading, we're in, we're in our third year, so we've taken a little bit of a step back, particularly on the attendance this year. Um, for us, the biggest challenge is we play at a high school, we can't serve alcohol. Our season's very, very short in the PDL, you know, kind of similar to other fourth division leagues. So it's really hard to build a brand for a season that's two and a half months at a high school. Um, you know, we put ourselves out there as a professional product. We are tied in with a major league soccer franchise. We have very deep pocketed tech owners. Um, so we kind of put ourselves out there as a professional product, but at the end of the day, there's severe limitations on what we can do. Um, so I would really say, I mean, me for, for me, the number one issue is just the season length. I think having a two and a half to three month season is just very limiting. There's, it's very frustrating and there's only so much you can do. I think until a time when, you know, you see clubs jumping to a fully professional level where it's an eight to 10 month season that, you know, increases the revenue opportunities. When I sit down in a sponsorship meeting, they want eyeballs over the course of a year. They don't want eyeballs for three months a year. So that's probably the biggest challenge that we face. Um, and then obviously we're in a major market selling what would be considered minor league, a minor league product. So that's a challenge to get eyeballs in this major metropolitan area, um, whether it's spending marketing dollars or whatnot, um, just getting on people's radar, getting in the local paper, getting on TV, all those kind of things are very difficult in a major market. So, yeah, you, so I have ahead. a follow-up there. For all the people mm -hmm. that want to start their own team, then what are you doing so well? Uh, you're first and second in these categories. Yeah, there are challenges, but you've clearly figured something out. So what do you think the key is for you and your market? I think it's knowing your demographics. I mean, we, we are located in a suburban area of San Francisco, so a lot of what we do is very catered towards our core demographics, which are family with kids, families with kids. So we have a bounce house. We have a very... Uh, family-friendly mascot. We do a lot of free food days. We'll do $1 hot dog. We'll do, you know, it's very minor league baseball. It's very targeted to our demographics. Um, so I think knowing who your famous is, who your demographics are, and just really trying to do that well rather than kind of spreading yourself too thin. I mean, there just aren't a lot of millennials. There aren't a lot of young people in the, in the kind of general vicinity of where we're located. So rather than waste resources and time and money to market to them, we just stick to our core demographics. And I think that's the number one piece of advice I would give to any aspiring owner of a team of any kind is know who your fan is um, and really realize what it's going to take to get them to come to a game, whether it's the price of your ticket or whether it's the in-game entertainment or what your venue looks like and make sure you just do that very, very well. And then you'll be successful. And, and it's super interesting because you, you talked about the investors and uh, I realized that uh, one of the investors is Nick Swinburne and he worked for Genentech. By the way, just for the record, I applied to Genentech and I did not get accepted. So, you know, I'm not happy about that. So, but, <laughs> so you actually, you have it backwards actually. So oh. uh, we, have two, we have two owners. Nick Swinburne is uh, the founder of Zappos and then David ah, Ebersman was at Genentech and he was uh, the CFO of Facebook when they went public. So... Yeah, they're both there, but anyway, that's the deal. Well, I should be writing them him a strongly worded letter. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about Bur Burlingham a, a little bit more, and then we'll switch to uh, SF City. Yep. Um, I think Aaron raises good points about you know what is working. 
some of the things that are, that are working are working well for you. But tell us the, the concept of Burlingham. How is it, you know, um, with, with the myriad of clubs, you know, 100-odd clubs in NPSL, 60-odd uh, in PDL, is that right? Do I have that number right? Yeah, I think it's 68 last I checked, okay. somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. So with, with having all these clubs... The, each identity, the identity of each club decides how successful the club is. Uh, the finances decide how successful the club is. So it ties into what you were talking about, about being a suburban club. But how do you differentiate Burlingame when you're going to sponsors or when you're going to players or when you're going to, um, you know, anyone else that makes, that is able to uh, describe why a club or a sponsor or a player should be joining you as opposed to a different club in California or a club somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what we do is leveraging our relations relationship with the San Jose Earthquakes. So a lot of the player pool that we get comes through the San Jose Earthquakes system, whether it's their academy kids or homegrown players or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, by our third year now, we've been able to churn out quite a few professional players. We have Nick Lima, who's right. probably going to be the rookie of the year, played for us the last two years. Uh, we had four guys drafted in the MLS draft. So from a player side, it's not that hard of an you know, a sell, right? I mean, we're in a beautiful part of California. We're churning out professionals. Our coaching staff is, you know, the same technical staff as a major league soccer franchise. So there's a lot of really positives there from a player side. Um, from a revenue side, I think we're, we're located geographically in a very wealthy area and you have a lot of companies such as Genentech's a really good example in the County that are interested in getting, you know, involved in something hyper local. Um, mm -hmm. our main presenting sponsor is Stanford Healthcare, which is a big healthcare provider in San Mateo County, who was with the earthquakes, um, and the earthquakes decided to go with Sutter Health, which is another healthcare provider. And then we picked up San, uh, Stanford Healthcare. So really, um, a lot of our sponsorship success is the, the area we're located. Um, we do have difficulty penetrating the market in terms of getting media coverage, for instance, but on the flip side, there's a lot of money. So, you know, there's kind of pros and cons to the market. If you look at one of our rivals, Fresno, for instance, there's not a ton of, you know, Fortune 500 companies or not a ton of revenue opportunities there, but they have a very passionate local fan base and they get a lot of coverage in their local paper and on TV. So it's kind of a pros and cons situation. Um, but, you know, after a couple of years, we've established a track record, but both on and off the field. And I think people are being drawn to what we're doing, both uh, companies that want to get involved and players as well. KJ, I, I have a feeling you probably want to ask a question about earthquakes at this point, since you are our resident uh, person who cares about uh, links with MLS. I've got to, right? I'm yeah. a token MLS guy. <laughs> you are. Yeah, so speaking of the quakes, of course, there's some very breaking news. Head coach Dominic Kinnear was fired, um, along with his assistant coach. And it, for a little backstory for a lot of our listeners are Indy 11 fans, um, Indy 11 head coach Tim Hankinson used to coach Kinnear, actually, when he was on the, the Tampa Bay Mutiny. So I know um, Coach Hankinson thinks Kinnear's a good coach. I've talked to him about it. He also loved him as a player. And uh, before I ask your opinion, Jordan, I just wanted to say, that, um, to give my opinion real quick, I felt that it was a little bit premature. Um, I'm not really by any means satisfied with what Kinnear has done in the last couple of years for the Quakes, but he's had a very very awful rash of bad luck with designated player signings um a couple got hurt and others were just flops 
Um, but he is the kind of coach that you kind of have to give him a long leash because his players will play for him. He's never going to really set his teams up for massive failure. If anything, he'll play a little more defensive, a more boring style, but he's not going to go get run off the pitch four to one, like three games in a row or anything. So, um, I thought it would have been more of a fair shake to let him see the whole season out and just, you know, judge him at the end. Cause I thought there was a little uh, time for him to, to write the ship and get things going in San Jose, but Unfortunately, um, they let him go right about the halfway point. So, Jordan, what did you think about the firing? Yeah, I mean, I think the timing was definitely a little bit strange. They had just won. Um, they'd actually been playing some pretty good soccer. They were up to fifth place in the Western Conference, which is playoff positioning. Um, that being said, I think once the club fired John Doyle uh, last year and then hired Jesse Fiorinelli as the new general manager, uh, the writing was kind of on the wall. Um, I think the assumption was – Jesse was going to bring in his, his own guy at some point, And eventually that's what happened. Um, you know, I, I, we know Chris Leach very well. Chris has been the technical director with the earthquakes for several years. He has been pretty much the number one point of contact we've had to fill out our roster on the PDL side. And he's been very engaged the PDL side. I think, um, he knows the league rules very well. He's excellent on the academy side, bringing up youth players. I mean, the question is he doesn't have experience coaching at a major league soccer level. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, but all that being said, very surprised. Um, I think Dom has a very solid proven track record of success in major league soccer. And, um, you know, I, I have no doubts that he'll land on his feet somewhere, whether it's at the lower levels, NASL, USL, or somewhere else, somewhere else in MLS. Um, so that would be my two cents on the situation. And a quick follow-up to that. You also mentioned Nick Lima, who I've been very blown away with. Um, he's been very steady out there as a fullback for the Quakes. Um, just curious, could you talk a little bit about the, your current Dragons roster? Who, who is the next Nick Lima, or who are some of the best prospects on the squad right now? Yeah, so we have a center back named Josh Morton who plays at Cal, who's also an Earthquakes Academy player. There's the potential he could sign a homegrown deal with the Earthquakes after this year. That's obviously up to them. Um, he's a very, very solid player. Uh, we have a couple younger players uh, that play at Stanford. We have a kid named Amir Boshti and Corey Baird, who are, you know, they won the national championship both of the last two years with Stanford. So I think uh, particularly Amir is a little bit on the younger side to figure out how his pro path is going to look. Um, we have the a goalie, JT Marcinkowski, who hasn't played with us this year, but played with us last year. He was on the U-20 national team. So I think he's slotted to uh, to head to the pro ranks at some point in the near future. So that's probably just a, a small sample of the guys we have. We send a lot of guys to uh, to MLS and then the, you know, a handful of MLS, uh, to USL and NASL as well. Yep. I, I, we, you should definitely follow Jordan on Twitter. He often posts. Uh, players that have made it onto, you know, some squad, a U.S. under 20 or something like that. So it's always cool to catch all these players that I would never have come across if I wasn't following Jordan. So uh, it's different. And that's a Dragon Prez. Is that right, Jordan? Dragons with an S, Prez, P-R-E-Z. Prez, imagine that. He can't even... Pre- hey, Jordan, president is P-R-E-S. Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's move ahead to talking about uh, San Francisco City. Uh, just a quick reminder of w- what we're going to do here, because uh, w- what happened is last week we talked to John Leonard, our other contributor. Jordan, John and I got into a conversation about SF City, uh, which was not accurate in some way. And, and Jordan reached out to me on Twitter when he listened to it, and he wanted to set something straight. So we appreciate you. By the way, we appreciate you 
reaching out Jordan and wanting to set the record straight. So let's start with that framework. Tell us what uh, what we got wrong, and then, then we'll build from there. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember what you. I, I know there was a couple areas that were. Um, there was just some confusion. I think for mm-hmm. us taking a step back, um, being with SF City, we were there at a time when there was lots of talk that the NASL was coming to San Francisco. Uh, we didn't know who it was, when it was happening, but there was going to be pro soccer in the city. And I think there was a group of us in the front office, including myself, that were very strong proponents of making sure that that group was us, I think. Being, it it being was like in 2015, right? When you guys said something on Twitter, I think is what yeah, I read. So, yeah. yeah, so there was a... There was a group of us that were very, very um, strong proponents of making sure that we were going to be the group. We felt that if there was another group that came in, it would not necessarily render us irrelevant, but would really hurt our kind of long-term chances of being a successful professional soccer club in any level. Um, you know, I, I still to this day feel that San Francisco City Football Club has a has a really great story. I mean, supporter-owned, very, right. very dialed into the local community, like I had mentioned earlier. Um, unfortunately, at that time, the people running the club were very much of a slow growth kind of uh, approach. I think they were some of them were kind of in denial that their this pro soccer team was coming. Um, you know, really the only avenue that we were able to force some kind of movement on the topic was we were able to get them to tweet out something how we had talked to the league, which frankly never happened. I think I think someone in our front office had left a voicemail to the league, but there was never any serious discussion. So uh, sorry, sorry. So just just so we're on the same page, when you're saying the league, are you talking about NASL at this point or NPSL? NASL, yeah. It was always NASL. There was no discussions with any other league. Um, So there was there was never really any serious conversations between our club and the NASL. Um, I think that was that was put out there. A lot of people talked about it, but that was never really on the table. Uh, Eventually, I left the club in in the near future because I just felt like uh, we kind of hit a wall, and I didn't feel like the right people were in place to elevate the club to any higher level. And then as we know, shortly thereafter, the Deltas were named an expansion franchise. And uh, well, again, SF city has a great story. They play in the PDL. Um, you know, they're not, they're not particularly relevant in the San Francisco market and, you know, any paths to professional soccer for them are really limited at this point. So what exactly transpired that, that led to, you know, Beyond talking about how you left the club, I think I think that would be interesting, but it's more gossip at this point than anything that might yeah. contribute to the conversation. I won't even ask it, uh, but clearly I brought it up, so I was thinking about it. Uh, but I am curious what contributed to these decisions that led to SF City falling out of uh, the running for, for being an NASL club. And then, of course, as we know, Deltas is now in the NASL. So there obviously was something that w- went on which... Which uh, which contributed to that? So can you explain that a little bit to us? Yeah, I mean, I think it had more to do with the fact that there wasn't really a, a strong push on our end or the people that were running the club on our end, uh, the president of the club, to to really take the steps necessary to become an ML, uh, NASL franchise. Um, I had brought on one of their major investors who turned it into their jersey sponsor, and obviously making a bid into the NASL, you need pretty significant financial backing, and right. we didn't frankly have that. Um, so I don't think the NASL took us seriously as a group, and I don't think the people in our organization wanted to seriously consider the NASL. Um, so like I said, I, I don't think it ever was a serious discussion on either side. I, I think the NASL got approached with the Deltas group. They had strong financial backing, and um, they had a lot of kind of outside-the-box thinking, and the NASL felt that was the better choice. Um, so, why, and, so what do you say to the, the commonly held notion and i think this is what john and i were getting into the conversation about 
that Delta should have approached SF City uh, to to join forces and make this happen. Well, what do you say to that? So my understanding is the Deltas did, did approach SF City. I don't know whether this was before or after the franchise was awarded to collaborate and that SF City was not interested in any collaboration whatsoever. Um, in fact, the Deltas have done a very good job actually of reaching out to all clubs at almost every level throughout the Bay Area to support them, to put their logos on their website. And SF City, um, my understanding, has sent them a cease and desist letter from their lawyer to take SF City's logo off the Delta's website. So to give you an idea, that's the kind of animosity, the one-way animosity between the two clubs. Uh, the people I talked to at the Deltas don't understand why there's so much animosity. Um, but, you know, SF City, I think, that, you know, again, it's a supporter-owned club, so you got to realize that the people running that club are people in their, you know, their supporters group and their ultras. And to me, in my opinion, they're not exactly the type of people that should be operating a professional soccer franchise are making these type of important decisions uh, related to your franchise. So what about the minority owners, the financial? So it's 51% uh, supporter owned. It's 49%. Yep. Uh, the fi- basically, the financial backing comes from the 49%. I'm curious what they feel about that whole situation. I mean, my unders- I don't know. I'm obviously not dialed into to those guys anymore. Um, I don't think they're particularly hands-on outside of maybe one or two. And frankly, they are only 49%. So they, they don't have a lot of say, and, you know, in terms of these decisions, I think it's up to the 51%. I mean, that's how any of these clubs is, is when you have a majority ownership, you're making the decisions. Um, but I mean, that's a good question that I, I don't know the answer to. I'm just curious what the future is for SF city, because if, if they're just happy being an NPSL club, that, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I'm curious where some of the the hostility towards Deltas and the hostility towards other people such as yourself working in San Francisco comes from because it's not like they weren't given the opportunity or weren't in the mix. It just seems like it is a a decision uh, of their own making to to not be to to stay in the NPSL. So I guess that I don't understand the source yeah. of the animosity. Yeah, so they're actually in the PDL, not NPSL. Oh, I'm sorry, tried sorry. To get, yep. They had yep. tried to get in the NPSL many years ago. Um, I think there's some jealousy on their part. Um, I think they realize that the, the ship has sailed. I think um, in terms of them really being anything bigger than they are. Um, you know, I think you, know, you hear their president come out and say they want to bring pro soccer to the city. I don't know if that's USL or D3 or whatnot, but I I don't take any of those kind of claims seriously. I think, I think where they're at is great. I mean, they're PDL team, a community-owned team in the fourth division, and they're doing grassroots soccer, and that's great, and I think if they embrace that, they could be great, but I mean, in terms of being anything bigger or supplanting the Deltas or being anything beyond that, that's just not going to happen, um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know where the animosity comes from. I think they're, they're just upset that, you know, from our perspective, they don't like us because we're more of a suburban club without a supporter fan base, and they think we're fake. With the Deltas, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, they don't feel like the Delta's ownership and their fans are genuine, that they kind of came in outside. Oh, they're not hardcore, you know, they're, yeah. Right, they're not hardcore. It's that kind of mentality, I think. And frankly, they're, you know, I, the way I see it is is their supporters, they're just trolls. They hate the Deltas, they hate us, they hate me, they hate everyone that's not part of their little circle. And it's just unfortunate because we all want soccer in the Bay Area to right. succeed. And, is it uh, is anything to do with Kazar? Because they, they, they used to play in Kazar, right? Is there some hatred because of that? Yeah, it's actually pronounced Kizar, by the way, just so you know. Oh. Um, damn it. 
He he's really good with letters like Z's and S's. Everything else he has a really hard time with. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the Deltas came in and obviously they put a lot of money into Kizar in terms of renovating the facility. I don't know if they kicked SF City out of the venue, but SF City decided to make the decision to play at a different venue. Um, I just think that was a factor in the whole process of the Deltas coming in and basically taking over soccer in San Francisco. So I think that played into it a little bit. Um, but in the reality, the, the SF City plays at U- University of San Francisco Stadium, which is a really nice PDL venue. Um, so they kind of have their own little stadium off to the side. Um, so, yeah. Let's do a, a slight shift of gears. Can I do that real quick? Yeah, yeah so, of course. You, um, you don't want to hear more about the San Francisco Soccer Wars? Well, I do. <laughs> I do, and it's, it ties in. It ties in. I yeah, mean, okay. we're all about soccer wars here, and we're also about trolling on the Internet. So, I mean... <laughs> We're about hardcore fans. The the things that you explain, the things you describe, talking about, you know, people calling out fans for not being organic or, or grassroots, and, and that's just kind of nonsense, elitist behavior. We find that with, with teams, even here in Indianapolis, there are there's a faction of supporters for the Indy 11 that would say if a major league soccer team would come to town, they simply wouldn't support it under any circumstances unless it was Indy 11. So, I mean... That's the type of thing that exists all around the country. I don't think that's unique to San Francisco. But one of the things I wanted yeah. to say or talk about, um, we're kind of fans of Brian Helmick with the sock takes, and, and we think he's he's got a lot of good ideas and brought a lot of things to the table. But the, the market impact that Deltas have had so far isn't that strong. So I guess we can talk about that kind of as the transition. And we talked about Kizar Stadium. Why is it? It's pronounced Kizar, this... but go ahead. <laughs> now I'm fucking confused. I don't even know if I said it right. You did. Good, good news: beaded lanyards are for sale on Amazon.com. I've got some ordered. Callback, baby. Prime is is legit. My favorite thing in the world. I love spreading the good word about Prime. Um, I'm a Prime show, no question. What the hell were we talking about? So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so talk about why it's so difficult to get into. You say San Francisco City might be at their limit as far as how, how much impact they can have in the market. Why is the market so difficult in the first place? Yeah, it's it's a tough market to crack. I mean, there was a equivalent to a second division team here in 2007 called the California Victory, and they crashed and burned within a year. Uh, pro soccer in San Francisco has not been successful in the past. Um, I think, again, like I mentioned earlier, you have a major league market where people are used to top-notch quality products, whether it's the Giants or the Super Bowl was here. Or those type, you know, The Warriors are building a brand-new stadium here. And you bring in a second division or what's perceived as a minor league product at a venue that is very old. Um, I think that's a recipe for problems. Um, I My take on why the Deltas are struggling right now is kind of a couple areas, I think, Kizar Stadium is not, it's in a good central location, but there's no parking and very limited access to public transportation. So it's very difficult for them to get any viable fan base from outside the city. I think they're banking on Uber and Lyft and all these kind of, you know, different ride sharing services. But, you know, when you when you need to fill that stadium with 10,000 people, you really need to market to the kind of outlying areas. And they're very much focused on just the city. So that's one of the issues. I, I personally think their branding is not good. Um, I like Brian. I know Brian well. 
Um, they're really good people. I don't think the branding resonates in this market. I think it's way too tech focused, tech heavy. Um, I think there's there's kind of this cultural divide in the barrier between people that work in tech and support tech, and then people that are been you know have been living here for 30, 40 years and are very much anti tech. And I think their branding has put themselves on one side of that divide and really kind of alienated quite a few people. Um, those are some of the kind of different issues. I think they, while they announced their franchise a year and a half out from the launch date, the NASL USL off season mess kind of hurt them a little bit. Uh, they really didn't start marketing in full force until I, I don't know, a month or two before the season started. Um, you know, they've recently done a couple campaigns where they've plastered buses with their you know, players and logos, which is great. Um, those are kind of stuff they should have been doing six months ago, right? Um, so I think the launch was not great. Um, and I think now they're kind of expecting, as time goes on, the brand to increase and fans to increase. And that's typically not how it works in pro soccer. You typically want to get the launch right. And the fan interest can go down from, from the start. It doesn't always work like that, but it can go down. So... I mean, I'll be frank. I think they they have problems. I think on the field, Mark Dos Santos is a great coach. They're doing incredibly well for an expansion franchise on the field. Um, Todd Dunavit, their technical director who played in MLS, is a really smart guy. He's, he's brought in some really quality players. So I think the on-field product has been fantastic. I just think off the field, um, there's problems, and I don't know how they solve them, to be honest. Well, it's an interesting one, right, because we uh... – I think Brian himself has told us that the issues off-season did not help them, and uh, your points are very well taken. I'm curious, though, when when you say that they have focused on uh, the tech market, it's not something I'd considered before until you said that, but what about the things they did, like they, uh, I forget what it was, maybe three months ago, they had a, um, you know, they had an open session uh, downtown, maybe at the monument, I don't know San Francisco very well, but um, it was like a, at the memorial or something like that, and a few people, quite a few people, showed up. Like things of that nature, that are clearly not focused on uh, the tech market. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps that is an unfair characterization. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done a lot of. They've tried to do quite a few grassroots efforts, whether with local youth clubs or I think they're giving away a certain amount of tickets for every game to local nonprofits. And I think they're trying. It's not that they're trying, but it's. It's kind of you have to paint a whole narrative, you know, in terms of what your branding is, who your players are, what your messaging is, what you're doing in the community. And I think with the Deltas, they check some boxes, but not yeah. all the boxes. Um, and there's there's a disconnect there. So I'm not saying that they're not trying some of these things and mm -hmm. I'm not saying they're not genuine about it either. Um, I just think they're a little bit behind the ball game, and it's not necessarily connecting up with their messaging and their branding from a big picture kind of sense. I think. A good example, right, would be, and I'm not saying this is like the answer, but like LAFC, right? It seems like everything that they're doing with their launch is spot on. Their merchandise is killing it. People in LA who don't even care about soccer are connecting to that brand, connecting what LAFC means for the community. I think the Deltas, just that name, that branding, it just it doesn't resonate here. And that's just, I mean, I know some people like it, some people don't. That's just my personal opinion. Um, so they can go out in the community, they can do nonprofit work, and and it can be beneficial, but does that resonate? It, it hasn't on a large scale at this point. Now, do you think, uh, and this is just me wondering, do you think the Deltas, uh, and Helmick in particular, has become uh, a pivotal part of NASL? Uh, I feel like, I don't know what you think about this, but I feel like 
people in the league office and people incoming teams kind of parrot the things Brian says in interviews and Brian says uh, in uh, in podcasts and stuff like that. It feels as though people are looking at him the way four years ago people were looking at Peter Wilt. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, all indications are uh, that that seems to be the case. I mean, you read quotes from some of the expansion groups, and it sounds like they're taking a similar philosophical approach to Brian. Um, I mean, I would be very wary of that type of approach. I mean, someone like Peter Wilt, who I know well, has a serious proven track record of operating professional soccer franchises successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'll go back to Brian, and I, I like him as a person. I really do. He, you know, He comes from a different background. They don't necessarily have the infrastructure that has the background of running professional sports franchises before. And I think that's hurt them a bit. It's been a learning curve for them. Um, so, you know, again, if, if it's me and I'm starting an expansion franchise in the ASL, uh, you know, I am definitely trying to replicate some of the things that they're doing potentially. But I mean, there's, there's certainly other franchises that are doing much better from the attendance wise, you know, Indy 11, for example, has, you know, what Turkish airlines is their Jersey sponsor and is drawing 7,000 people a game. I mean, that's an incredible model to follow versus the deltas who are doing significantly less, don't have a Jersey sponsor, don't have a ton of sponsorship at all from what it looks like. So I think kind of, you know, if it was me starting a franchise, I'd kind of look and see what's working and what's not and kind of target myself in that direction. Look at that. We got an Indy 11 shill in the mix. KJ, anything you you want to throw in? Yeah, really quickly, really quickly, let's get to the Twitter question because it ties right in with what we're talking about. It is from James Gottermeyer at Jimmy G underscore three. He asks, given the low attendance numbers and current second place standing for the San Francisco Deltas, how would you grade their first year? So very quickly, let's put a letter grade on it. So all things considered, you know, attendance, branding, on-field performance, you name it. Jordan, what what letter grade would you give the Deltas in year one? I mean, it's hard. I look at it from two sides. I break out the on-field versus the off-field. I mean, I think clearly from an on-field perspective, it's an A. I mean, you can't expect anything more from an expansion franchise. I mean, Nipun's favorite club, Miami FC, is destroying everyone. <laughs> but um, outside of that, they're right there contending for – for a title i mean off the field it's got to be pretty low down there like a c or a d I, I think revenue i don't know their books by any stretch but revenue wise it doesn't look like they're bringing in enough revenue for it to be viable in the long term and i know i know they're treating you know the club like a startup and there's nothing wrong with that it's a long-term project but i think at some point you know the sponsorship numbers are going to have to go up uh the ticket sales numbers are going to have to go up just the overall um awareness in the market's going to have to go up or they're going to have problems going, going far. Well, you mentioned a name that we're all familiar with and all big fans of Peter. Will Miami FC, Miami <laughs> FC. I cannot wait till that guy, that son of a bitch in moves to Miami. Like you like him so much. Why don't you marry him? <laughs> yeah. What, what this, this podcast took a turn for maturity. So Peter will has his fingers in, almost everything that has to do with NASL and expansion and even a lot of expansion that goes along around the country. I kind of call him uh, Johnny soccer seed. It's kind of my nickname for him, but he's also involved in NASL San Diego. Does anybody want to talk about that? We can, we can branch this together, but Peter Wilt is, as, as you said, Jordan, you know him, we know him, uh, he's involved in everything. So why is it that he can do so well in Indy? and give advice to people in San Francisco and maybe not do so well and is heralded 
and and lauded in San Diego. So what I would say about Peter Wilt and Club Nine is they obviously they advise these expansion franchises and they step them through the process. Um, but at the end of the day, these clubs are owned by independent owners and operators and they can do whatever they want. So I think what I would say is Peter can give them advice and give them a direction for their franchise and their branding and whatnot. But there's only so much he can do. So I don't know how hands-on he was with the Deltas launch. I, haven't, I, I don't know. I know he was working with the Orange County group and he was doing working with the San Diego group, but he's it's not everywhere. like he was a part. Of, yeah, he's everywhere. So, but it's not like a, he's a part of the ownership group and really can tell them, Hey guys, this is not a smart move. Let's go in this direction. So, and I think that's from talking with them, that potentially could be a little bit of a frustration where if these clubs are not really, you know, his advice, his expertise, which is what they're paying him for. And his 25 years of soccer business experience is not resonating with some of these, these groups. So, you know, I, I think if it was me, again, going back to the hypothetical, I would tell Peter, well, you have the expertise. You tell me what I should be doing. But it doesn't sound like that's always the case. Um, but also, can you can side, you expound I'll, I'll, on that? I don't know how yeah. much you'd like to expound or explicate on that, because that's a very interesting thing you're saying there. Well, I would also say that I think a lot of, you know, to be fair, a lot of Peter's time, I would assume, is being focused on Nisa right now rather than Club Nine. I don't think. He only has so much amount of time. But, um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I could say, again, is they're a consulting service and they give their expertise and advice and the clubs either take it or they don't take it. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's the best way I can put it. And I think you could probably gather groups that may or may not have taken his advice on a variety of fronts. Um, so I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Um, jumping off of that, can you tell us your thoughts on the viability of uh, San Francisco Oh, sorry, San Diego to NASL. That's news that dropped today, or well, became official today. Uh, I mean, it's kind of been an open secret almost uh, for a while now. But now that it is official, uh, tell us your thoughts on the viability of that project. Um, you know, the, the first thing that is often raised is the issue of Zolos. Um, did I pronounce that correct, Jordan? Why don't you correct that? Is it uh, ex Zolos? I've, I've heard it pronounced <laughs> Cholos, like C-H. Fuck you. That's right. That is Cholos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So go ahead. Dragon Prez with a Z. Dragon's Prez with a Z. Tell us your thoughts on San Diego NSL. I think they are very well positioned to be successful. Um, I think with the uncertainty and turmoil on the MLS bid to San Diego, I think NSL is coming in at the right time. Uh, I think securing University of San Diego's Torero Stadium, at least for their first year, is very big. I think that gives them the credibility. It's a beautiful 6,000-seat venue with grass. It's in a good location. Uh, I think if they can get the branding right, if they can get the launch right, then they're very well positioned to have a leg up on MLS down the road. And if USL wants to put a team there down the road, I think San Diego is positioned to be the most successful of the NASL launches in, that I can remember. I think that Whoa. market, for obvious reasons. Hot take. I mean, it's a... There's 4 million people in that market. It looks like MLS is dragging its feet. Um, I personally don't think Cholos is a huge factor, especially since they're looking to build a stadium in the North County. It's a big enough market where there's room for multiple franchises, let alone one on the other side of the border. Um, so I, I think, you know, they have a lot of really interesting pieces on the ownership side with the European players. Um, so if they play their cards right, I think it could be a very, very successful launch. When do you worry about oversaturation in a market this market or any market when when does that start to become an issue for you when when do you see the red flags go up 
think it depends on the market. Um, I mean, obviously, NASL is going into San Diego. If and when MLS and or USL come in, that could come into play. It just depends on where the teams are playing out of, how big's the market, uh, what do the demographics look like. I mean, obviously, I think at this point, San Diego is nowhere close to oversaturation. I think I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but the Cholos fans that come across the border are still a very small percentage of the overall soccer fan base in San Diego. So, you know, if and when MLS comes in, if that happens in San Diego, you could start to get to that point. Um, but um, to me, it looks like that's years down the road. Um, and obviously, there's lower division teams. There's MPSL and PDL teams, but right. and they do a nice job on their various levels. But those are those to me aren't really a factor in terms of um, you know having a real market share. I don't know why anybody would ever watch soap operas or anything when you have soccer wars <laughs> and soccer expansion to keep track of. Like there's so much drama. You've got politics involved. You got stadium bids. Pronouncing you've got all this stuff. You what'd you say? Uh, and you have to learn how to pronounce words. He's all yeah. Things. Beaded lanyards. <laughs> yeah. There's all this stuff that people could be talking <laughs> about. There's all of this like it's almost infinite amount of things that people could be doing. But instead, as the world turns, actually, I don't even know if that's still on TV. Um, but you what guys get my point. Yeah, San Diego's crazy. The the MLS situation. We could you guys could probably spend a whole podcast talking about the mess uh, with that situation with rival developers and San Diego State and city council members versus the mayor. That whole situation. Um, Everybody wants a piece of that mess. pie, though. Everybody knows they want to yep. be in there. Yeah. And uh, absolutely fascinating to me. You have Landon Donovan jump in, throw some of his weight around. Didn't really get any traction there. Um, what ultimately happened? Why did the the stadium bid fail? Or the stadium proposal failed. Was it the there was there was a refusal to have a hearing for stadium? Was that what happened? Yeah, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't get a special election. Um, That's what it was. to the to the voters in in this calendar year. There's talk about it happening in 2018, which may or may not be too late for an MLS expansion bid. So that was the main yeah. issue. The really the like long story short is you had rival real estate developers who were at war with each other. And some of them were in the pockets of council members, some with the mayor, some with you know various people in the community. And they fought and they fought. And ultimately it was a situation where no one won because everyone was not on the same page. This is going to make a great 30 for 30. Actually, you know, <laughs> so many of the things that we talk about, I feel like would make a great 30 for 30. Somebody should do this. Or yeah. somebody should have a podcast where they talk about lower division soccer, like exclusively. Yeah, sock it's takes about, one for one. Whatever it, that <laughs> was the that was the original vision of the podcast, but then we have an MLS shill, so now we talk about MLS <laughs> sometimes, which fucking ruins everything. Uh, but I, you know, let's let's uh, talk a little bit more about San Diego here. Uh, I, our friends, you you talked about Deke and uh, also Nate before we started recording, or was it while we were recording? And they share your assertion that Cholos, did I get it right? Uh, Cholos are indeed not a significant um, issue. And, and Aaron asked a question about saturation, but just like any incoming team, there are significant hurdles to becoming a successful franchise, especially in the NASL. Let's step away from the one that's the obvious one, what if NASL begins to unravel? I think we'll cover that ad nauseum as when we come to September and October, but what are, as, as a... As a Can't I just have two months? Can't I just have like two months where I don't have to talk about the NASL folding? No, I think this is this is the time that we shouldn't talk about NASL folding. Hell, we just, they announced Orange County, 
uh, now oh, San Diego. Oh, that's right. This makes, next, this makes sense. And here's a hot take. Next 10 days, I'm expecting one for sure, maybe two NASL teams to be announced. So anyway. Um, so the so collapse is imminent. The collapse is imminent any day. NASL is dying. You heard it here first. I've been killing leagues since 2016. This is just any, this is just <laughs> regular life for me. But Jordan, as, as a GM, what are the hurdles? Uh, you know, we're basically shills. We don't know enough about running a, a team. What are the real hurdles a team faces in that first season? You mentioned some of them when you talked about Deltas. Tell us what you would do. If you were to take over at San Diego today, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. it's it's getting your branding spot on. And I think really, you know, portraying yourself as a professional product, even though NESL is second division. Um, I think the team name, the team colors, the team logo, getting community feedback, partnering with the local youth clubs, partnering with the local companies who are your base of sponsors. I mean, I think a lot of it's just kind of legwork, grassroots effort to kind of get engagement in the community. And then you have to take your budget and put some, you know, spend that money wisely in marketing buys, whether it's TV or radio or billboards or whatever you do or online um, to try to get the word out there. Right. Um, and some of it's going to resonate. Some of it's not going to resonate. But um, I think it's kind of this kind of comprehensive way to look at it. And then obviously, once you start signing players and coaches, are those players marketable? Do you bring in, you know, a, you know Omar Bravo type player from Mexico who's going to resonate with that community? What are your core demographics? There's kind of a lot of different things you're going to look at, and it depends on what your goal is. Um, if your owner comes in and says, hey, I want to make a splash. I'm willing to lose $5 million this year. Well, that opens you up to doing a lot more things. If your owner says, you know what, from the outset, I don't really want to lose money, well, then you're going to kind of have to take a slightly different approach. Um, so there's not really one specific answer to it, and it also depends on the league you're in, right, and what that league looks like in the landscape and how do you market you know, your participation in that league versus MLS, for instance. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you'd have to look at it. How do you see the NASL, USL stuff playing out? Uh, we're kind of stepping away from specific teams. How do you see it playing out? There's, you know, <laughs> there's going to be another audit at some point from USSF or D2, seeing which league needs less waivers or et cetera. How do you see all this playing out? Yeah, I mean my unqualified opinion is I think we're going to see the status quo for the foreseeable future. I think you'll probably see two leagues at D2 for the next couple of years as uh-oh. both leagues. Oh yeah, I know <laughs> as both leagues continue to grow and try to solidify themselves and meet all the minimum standards. Um, I don't see the NASL going away. I think there's enough solid groups there um, that will stick with it, but that doesn't necessarily mean I see it as being viable in the long term. Um, but certainly if they can bring in strong expansion franchises like San Diego and, and hit them and do them well, that will really solidify the league. But I don't see this question being answered on either side anytime soon. Yeah, I think I'm on board with you there, especially the first assertion. I think what a lot of us myself assumed at the beginning of this year, which was there would really be only one D1 league at the end of the year, is probably not true, as is uh, Wait, are you I, saying D1 or D2 right now? Sorry, D2. I meant D2. You're right. Thank you. Um, English is in my first language. I'm going to go with that one. Well, yeah, and, and you're drunk. so. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Drunk <laughs> on love, drunk on power, drunk on the hatred of Twitter. Uh, and the other thing is that um, 
I, I I'm not so convinced anymore that the waivers that were once assumed to be over from USSF will still be over. I think there will be waivers given out. I think I think generally it feels like as long as both teams are showing some progress, I think it will continue as is. But for how long? That's the question. And I'm sure we'll be covering that more and more as we go along. Um, and we'd love to have Jordan back to talk about that. Unless you guys have any other questions, we're close to the hour mark, boys. We should wrap up, let Jordan get back to being a Dragon's Prez with a Z. Yeah, I will I will let him talk about the Dragons. So two wins on the season. We can talk about that. What do we need to do to turn it around, and how can I watch the next game and cheer him on? Show. Yeah, we are uh, we're struggling a little bit this year. Uh, we only actually have four games left going back to the very short PDL season. Um, to watch the game, you're going to have to come out to California because we don't broadcast them live. That is no good uh, for my schedule. <laughs> I, yes, I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, I will say I was, uh, we are in the works to having a big international match potentially in the next couple weeks. So that should be Uh-oh. exciting for our fans. Yep, the, that's starting to drop. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think for us it's difficult at the PDL level. We get a lot of our college kids in later in the summer. So uh, we're finally kind of full strength with our roster. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll have a strong end to the season and uh, kind of use that momentum into next year. Um, and go from there. Unrelated, I'm just reading a quote from Donald Trump. If I'm elected president, the Indian and Hindu community will have a true friend in the White House. That I can guarantee you. That's all. It's totally unrelated to anything. Congratulations. I'm Thank very you. happy for you. Because you. you know what? He didn't tell me I had a friend in the White House. Oh, well, you have one. You're white. You're good. Uh, okay, any, any more, You're making assumptions questions? about me. You don't know that. <laughs> this is a double-sourced opinion that you're uh, white, Aaron. So that's more, one more source than I usually have. KJ, it any sounds other racist when you say that. <laughs> KJ, yeah, anything? So, sure, I got one final thing. Um, you mentioned off-air, Jordan, that for our listeners out there, Jordan's actually, believe it or not, a fan of the Sock Takes Pod. So oh I'm just kind of curious how you stumbled upon us. Was it, did you just see us on Twitter? Um, so how did you discover us? And more importantly, why the hell did you continue listening after the first time? Yeah, good question. Best question. Uh, so I just, so I discovered you guys uh, following Nipoon on Twitter. Um, I was, I was a big fan of all his unnamed sources back uh, over the winter. Uh, so you mean unnamed he became a source. Just let's kind of yeah. So he According became a Twitter follow, and I saw when he joined Sock Takes, uh, I followed Sock Takes, and I saw you guys were doing podcasts. Uh, they were definitely a little Indie 11 heavy for me at first, but um, obviously I think you guys have good insight on lower division soccer. You have good guests on, and uh, I think you overall do a good job. So that's why I listen. Yeah, thanks. We are Indie 11 heavy. We just can't figure out how to do it other ways, but you've helped dramatically. We yeah, talked. There we go. I mean, we just name-dropped Peter Wilt. And that's about it. But like I said, he's connected to the entire country as a whole. Is this like a is this like a Kevin Bacon yeah. game where there's like everyone's two yeah. steps removed from Peter Welt? Yeah. I think everybody's had beers with him at some point. Yeah, probably. That was like an Illuminati accusation. Like everyone is connected to him. Right. <laughs> well, um, yeah, and he may not even be a real person. Right. He's just a construct. That is a very interesting. Uh, conspiracy theory and I, to be honest i don't have evidence to discount it yet and as a scientist yeah. uh, you know it's, it's a great hypothesis 
I can't um, dispute it either. Exactly. Jordan, we do believe that you're a real person. And based on that, can you let our listeners know where they can find you, get in touch with you, and uh, reprimand you for uh, following my uh, single source on Twitter? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, dragons with an S, prez, P-R-E-Z. Uh, if you want to send me an email and complain about all the stuff I talked about, it's jordan <laughs> at berlingamedragons.com. And uh, yeah, that's how you can reach me. And uh, KJ can be found at KJ Boxing. You can find Aaron at Aaron. What's your podcast? Uh, what's your Twitter handle again? AC Gunyan or A Gunyan? It's at A Gunyan. Uh, and do you guys, either of you, have anything to plug? Are you guys writing anything this week on the site? No, I'm not uh, writing anything right yes. now. A couple things will be up. Um, I'm not sure what's going to be finished or what won't, but at least two things will be up, believe it or not. So check yeah, out right, socktakes.com. Yeah, and I'm working on a couple of things as well. I don't know what will be up, but one of them will be. And one, uh, I'm writing something. Speaking of PDL, I'm writing something about uh, Ivan Rakitic's visit to Iowa, which is pretty insane when you think about Ivan Rakitic. Of all the cities in America, he visited Des Moines, Iowa. So that's a fun little story. And um, yeah, and oh, by the way, I'll be visiting. I'll be at the Chicago Fire Cincinnati game. If you're listening and you're there, make sure you say hi. We'd love to chat with people and celebrate what I'm sure will be another awesome night of U.S. Open Cups, U.S. Open Cup soccer. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter also at Burling Game, no, at Dragons with an S. Prez <laughs> what with the hell Z. is wrong with you? A lot of things. You can find Sock Takes at Sock Takes Pod, um, and make sure you visit the website. Thanks for listening, everyone. This was episode 20. Thanks again, Jordan. Uh, good night. <laughs>